You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming, not least of which is what's developing in the grain markets, continuing to see a lot of red ink on that screen. Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Research and Analysis will join us in just a moment with an update. Then we're going to talk in segment three with Lance Zimmerman. We're looking ahead to the 4th of July holiday and their Robbo Research Barbecue Index was recently out. And no surprise, prices are going to be a little higher this year. Lance will fill us in on the details. Then we're going to close today's episode with Brian Riley, the director of the Free Trade Initiative at the NTU. And Brian has been studying the moves made by India this past week and opening up some of their markets to ag products and other goods from the U.S. And he's going to fill us in on how those things have all changed. Before we get to that, all, however, let's dive into these markets. Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Research, joins us now. And Mike, the red is still here. It's very present. I assume that means we've got more rain in the forecast. Is that right? Well, yes, but I don't think it's all about rain and and not just about the United States and the corn and bean weather, Mike. And I say that because, you know, it is a situation where those good to excellent conditions in corn and beans are are down there in, in the worst since 1988. We're six points below in corn good to excellent versus where we were back in 2012. I really look at this market like we've been talking this summer. Um, wheat let us lower this latest round. Wheat let us uh, out of the hole and led the rally in percentage terms. And that rally itself was led by the European futures and the soft red wheat, which I would say are the funds. I think now with both the European Union and the U.S. weather kind of normalizing, um, we turn back to the wheat. We turn back to the Baltic. I think we got an interesting piece of the puzzle as to why the wheat's leading us lower this morning. The UGA, which is a private Ukrainian grain analyst, um, is putting the Ukrainian wheat crop up 40% from USDA's estimate uh, earlier this month. And so we're looking at, in their opinion, 24 million metric tons of production. USDA is at 16.5. The Ukrainian Ag Ministry is at 17 million. So I'm tracing the, most of this back to the wheat with the weather in the corn and bean country here and in Europe probably playing some role as well. Mike, given the, the drop we've seen in the wheat already, Chicago off 19 to 20 cents here today. What are you watching for the next potential level of support if Ukraine is going to be producing that much more additional wheat? Yeah, I mean, I think the yields in the soft red wheat country are as good as we thought they would be. Um, hard red wheat are looking is looking a little bit better in spots, although we haven't really gotten hard into Kansas yet. Uh, I, I was suspect at that point, looking at those two things and where we're where we're at now, closer to eight dollars in the hard red wheat, and then closer to that six fifty level in soft red wheat, Mike. I think we're getting close. Um, if I had to guess, I would say twenty five thirty cents. Um, I, I'm almost of the a view that the wheat market will make a low as soon as the corn market makes a low, and there is a gap in the corn on the December futures from the breakaway at around the 533 level. So that's kind of a target price that I'm looking at to fill that gap and then quickly get back up above last summer's lows of around 540, 545. And if we do that, I think the wheat would snap back as well. Well, Mike, as you think about that, that potential hole in the December corn crop or corn market there at 533, you know, we're going to need some news to push the market another 20 cents to the downside. Could that come from the quarterly stocks report on Friday? 
I think that's a real possibility. I don't think it's a probability though, because the, the spreads are telling us something different. I mean, the question I have going into Friday's numbers are why is the July Dees corn spread 70 cents plus premium to the July corn? Why is the July Nove bean spread $2 plus to the July soybeans? And, and what does that spread do in terms of reconciling itself with the numbers? And then what do end users do and commercials do with the cash basis east of the Mississippi River? We've seen a real crash in the basis levels in a lot of areas that aren't along the river. And I'm wondering if that's not going to have to adjust itself. The market essentially is kind of suggesting to me right now, Mike, that maybe this old crop is a lot tighter than, you know, 4.25 billion bushels of corn and 812 million bushels of beans, which is the average trade guess on Reuters. Mike, even if our old crop on-hand stocks in the corn uh, world are a little tighter than the trade is estimating, we've still got that big crop coming out of South America right now. Is that going to be a, a, a hindrance on these market pricing going forward? Yeah, you bring up a big point. There is a lid on this market until probably the July WASDE report when the, I think the USDA is probably going to need to lower our yields down here. And then we see what they give us for South America. And that's where the world ending stocks and the world stocks to use ratios mean a lot uh, coming into the July report. Mike, let's turn the focus over to soybeans. Uh, again, big drop today, 21 to 30 cents here across the board. What are you expecting to see on Friday from the soybeans perspective? Anything that could change the market's tone? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, unless we get a friendly report that justifies that July bean being $2 over, the beans probably have more to fall back because they've only fallen about 50% from the rally we've seen since the end of May. Corn's fallen about 61, 62%. So you kind of kind of tell there's a Fibonacci number there in the corn at this point. So if that's correct, then, you know, we could see another uh, leg down in the soybeans pretty easily if they want to match up with a 61, 62% fall. We're essentially had a two and a half dollar rally in the soybeans and about a buck 40 rally in the corn in the December. In the November beans, Mike, wh where would you put that rally starting? What was your price start point for that most recent rally we've had? Yeah, that would have been the May 31st low of 11, 30 and a half. Okay, so there's that dollar thirty potential to the downside there in that November contract. That is something to watch for. Mike, as we get deeper into summer, maybe start the next marketing season, do you expect to see exports on either corn or beans improve at all? Not unless we get a break in the dollar, Mike. I mean, the the, the bond yields and and the you know the inflation deflation mindset and the high bond yields have really kept the dollar underpinned very nicely. The Chinese currency's been weakening. Um, and it's a you know, multi-month low against the U.S. dollar. We've got to see that change if we're going to pick up extra business, um, unless we just go about getting extra business by some other major competitor falling into a supply and weather problem. And that's got a higher probability because this El Nino sounds like it's going to stick around. And that does typically hurt Southeast Asia, Australia, those kind of areas. Okay, could be some potential there if the weather changes. Mike, while we're talking, I'd like to turn the focus to the cattle market. We saw feeder cattle go on a tremendous ride yesterday to the upside as this corn market continues to drop down. How does this change the, your, your outlook here for feeder cattle? You know, the feeders are still, I think, trading the funds and we're still very net long in the funds. In fact, last week's commitment of traders report put us at the second biggest net long position since 2011, if memory serves me right, for managed money positions. And so I do think there is a move to the downside still brewing out there in feeder cattle land. Wouldn't feel that way as much about the fats because the hogs have come around and that cash market's been underpinned and August contract is coming on as lead month after this week. And it's got a 
pretty steep discount with the uh, with the cash market. I'm glad you mentioned hogs there. That has been a tremendous rally for the month of June in the summer lean hogs. Mike, is it done? It could be because we get a hogs and pigs report tomorrow and that kept for breeding number is very low, but we've heard a lot about sow liquidation. And I'm wondering if we don't see a bigger drop in kept for breeding and that would mean more market ready hogs coming in Q3 and Q4. So that's one of those reports I'm gonna be watching. It, it could play a big role in terms of whether we can get above $100 this summer in lead month futures. Things to watch for protein producers of all species here as we get deeper into the summer. We've been talking with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Research and Analysis. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you, Mike. Have a great day. Stick around folks, more AOA in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Why do you listen? Anytime I'm talking to a friend about new music and I don't know what it is, it's probably because they were listening to radio and I wasn't. I'm nosy. I like to know what's going on, and radio usually is right there telling me what and when is going on and where it's going on. Well, listen in the barn, skid loader, tractor, and just about anywhere you can. When you put the lights on on the barn, the radio went on. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stepacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, 
we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA today. In the first segment there, Mike Zuzalo mentioned the normalization of weather and what that's done to the wheat crop across that continent there in Europe, as well as the Black Sea region. It sounds as though things are potentially looking better for those growers. That's not the case consistently across the state of Kansas. Their wheat harvest has been going on for the better part of the past few weeks. Marsha Boswell of the Kansas Wheat Commission is going to join us on the program tomorrow because they're noticing some interesting things. Notably, a lot more confusion around SRW and HRW wheat when they're getting it checked into uh, elevators. So we're going to be talking with Marsha about that on tomorrow's program. In the meantime, we do have some continued pushback and some of the environmental and carbon issues that have been driving headlines for the better part of the past few years. Nestle, earlier this week, announced that they are putting their claims of KitKat carbon neutrality away. They uh, they note that they are abandoning their pledge to make their major brands carbon neutral. This includes KitKat and Perrier, and they are really coming together with many other corporate companies, uh, uh, corporate endeavors that are working to push back against these carbon type of programs. Airline uh, EasyJet PLC and Gucci owner has also announced they are backing away from some of these carbon pledges. And this comes on the heels of some of the activism over in Europe. The European political party has, the European People's Party rather, has backed out of negotiations around Europe's nature law because they just feel as though these issues have been pushed too hard. Nestle notes that they are shifting toward in-house programs to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in their operations and supply chain, and they notice that that is harder to track for these third-party programs. They also say that carbon offset programs don't really reduce businesses' impact on the climate, and in that point, they are in agreement with many of the critics. It's, it'll be interesting to see these type of announcements and pronouncements go back and forth over the coming years as discussion over carbon continues to accelerate. Another discussion that will be accelerating as this summer goes on are discussions around Uncle Sam's funding of diets. We hear this, of course, in the snap conversations that popped up during the debt ceiling negotiation earlier this summer. It sounds as though those snap work requirement conversations might still be on the docket for further conversation as we get deeper into farm bill negotiations. And we're also going to talk about the USDA's funding of school lunch programs. That's what's driving some recent headlines. Over the course of the pandemic, of course, many waivers were issued by the USDA that allowed all students in public schools around the country to have a free lunch if they so chooses cho so chose during the pandemic. That was a, a rule that was in place until about April of 2022, and since then it has, you know, at the end of the pandemic, gone away. School lunch officials, the Food Research and Action Center, uh, note that school lunch participation since that waiver has ended has dropped 7% in some of the largest U.S. districts. They note that they've surveyed 91 very large districts stretching from Massachusetts all the way to Hawaii and found that participation in school-funded breakfast programs fell 5% from April of 2022 
2022 through April of 2023, and 7% for those lunch programs. Now, it is interesting that FARC did not note what had happened to school populations in those districts. All they noted was the percentage decline in lunch participants. But if there have been uh, a 7% uh, uh, group of students who have left the, those schools, then obviously they're not going to be eating lunch either. And I could not find those details based on their study. We'll see if there is more information available for that here in the short term. Another story that has been on our radar, no doubt on the radar of many people involved in the ag industry, are the ongoing disputes with Mexico. Yesterday on the program, we talked about Mexico's new 50% tariff on white corn imports. Now, I was reading the Mexican government's pronouncement. It was announced yesterday, 50% tariff on white corn coming into the United States. Now, I've reached out to several folks involved in the world of policy and, uh, and, and, uh, and commodity organizations, and it sounds as though this rule is is not going to apply to American corn imports into Mexico. The U.S., it sounds as though, as of this early reading, has been exempted from that 50% tariff. Very interesting change of events. We're continuing to look into how this is going to work. But the idea that Mexico is going to become more relevant or at least newsworthy to American agriculture, I think, is worth keeping in mind. Uh, first and foremost, there are some concerns in Mexico for President Mon uh, Andres Lopez uh, Manuel Obrador, AMLO, that he is losing his farm constituency. And that has been a key driver of his political success. So a lot of the things that he is doing now, it's expected by a political analyst are, are going to help him strengthen his position amongst farmers. So there has been a, not, a lot of pushback. We talked about three weeks ago, a group of small farmers in northwestern Mexico blocked an international airport in a bid to try and get the politicians' attention. It, AMLO did not respond to that particular group, but they have said they are going to continue protesting and trying to raise these issues. And we're also seeing Mexico become a bigger player in global supply chains, or at least in the supply chains coming into Mexico. One of the trends that's been under discussion since the coronavirus pandemic started, this trend accelerated in discussion with the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, and that's nearshoring. The idea that U.S. supply chains grew incredibly global heading up to the coronavirus pandemic, and then of course when everything went haywire, these firms are now recognizing that perhaps there's some usefulness to having their supply chains physically geographically close to where they are. And if you're a U.S. company, Mexico seems to make a lot of sense if you're bringing manufacturing back from Asia. Well, it seems as if it's paying off. Mexican exports rose 5.8% from a year earlier. They topped out at five, excuse me, $52.9 billion. That's the second highest reading of exports from Mexico into the United States in history, topped only by the record exports brought into this country from Mexico two months ago. There is strong growth coming out of Mexico. Uh, we've heard this from our friends at the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and this is going to be interesting to watch, particularly as this country grows. They have more money to spend on food. They climb that protein ladder for more folks there in the countryside of Mexico. 
How are they going to do that affordably with AMLO maintaining his friendship with farmers in that country? It's unsure. This is one of those things that will keep agriculture interesting for years to come. Another thing, unfortunately, that is going to keep agriculture interesting for years to come could be the impact of inflation. The worst of it seemed to be in 2021 and in 2022. Now the official figures show it coming down, but there are some sticky aspects of inflation that are still going to be sneaking up on consumers. And that was highlighted early Wednesday morning when General Mills announced their year-ahead forecast. And it was shockingly lower than it was coming into 2020. 23. General Mills stock was off as much as six and a half percent early Wednesday morning before trading opened as chief executive officer Jeff Hammering acknowledged the financial pressure consumers are feeling. He warned this could hurt results in the year ahead. Quote, this caution could have an impact on consumers at home versus away from home choices, the channels they shop and the brands they choose, making it even more important for us to continue to invest in remarkable products, innovation and marketing that keep our brands relevant for consumers. General Mills believes they are only going to see profit growth accelerate at the mid single digit phase and adjusted earnings are coming down. That which ended in uh, May here just about a month ago totaled $4.30 a share. That's up 10% from a year prior. But now these concerns of sticky inflation sticking with us and slowing down consumer behavior seem to be catching up to those folks. Looking around at other stories coming from around the world, we've been talking a lot about immigration in this country. It is no doubt going to be a political football for some time as there are passionate arguments on both sides of the immigration issue. However, Canada has been very pro-immigration for quite some time and their population growth and our neighbor to the north has set a fresh record in the first quarter of 2023. Canada added 292,232,000 people in the first three months of the year. That's up 0.7% uh, for the country's total population, still shy of 40 million coming in at 39,858 as of April 1st. It's the highest rate of growth in any quarter in data in Canada going back to 1972. And the government notes that this growth, 98% of it, is coming from immigration. So it's interesting to watch that play out up north. Down south in Kansas, in fact, we have an education bill that was recently signed. The Kansas Water Authority is calling for some updates here. But importantly, on the education bill, Laura Kelly earlier this week traveled to Fort Hayes University to sign a new bill putting a strategic collaboration together amongst colleges there in Kansas. The three schools that will be working together are Fort Hayes State University, Northwest Kansas Technical College, Goodland in Goodland, and North Central Kansas Technical College in Beloit. These schools will be working together to come up with accessible programs and student services. They want to expand apprenticeships and, on and internships there in Western Kansas. So check that out if that's where you're located. Let's keep these students here in agriculture. Stay with us. Lance Zimmerman will be with us when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, it's a story that rings true. 
We learn to endure the heat in silence. We apply what we learn to life, the bills, the job, the family, things we're expected to handle with ease. When life heats up around us, we just try to stay afloat. We let the water boil. Reaching out isn't easy, but you've never been interested in easy. You join because you are not afraid of hard work. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait until the water boils. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains all felt pressure overnight, and that's continued this morning on better weather conditions moving forward here. Wetter trends are continuing for Midwest forecast models with good model agreement that the shift in pattern is happening currently. Now, a better temperature gradient is developing across the Midwest with increased moisture availability. The primary storm track appears to be Nebraska east and southeast to Ohio. That may leave an area of concern in place in the northwestern 30% of the belt. Now, fortunately, much of that area just received moisture over the past week, but more will be needed. Further south, though, it does appear that much of this very dry area will see a good one to two inch rains in the coming week, with follow through rains looking likely with a much more active pattern in July. In the U.S., hard red winter wheat conditions have been improving and the spring wheat crop has gotten beneficial rains in North Dakota. Now, the EU soft wheat exports have risen by 11% year over year at 30.8 million metric tons. That's compared with 27.7 million the previous period with Morocco as a leading destination. And while it appears less likely that the Black Sea grain deal will be extended next month, Two Ukrainian ports have continued to load ships, including two wheat vessels, in the last week. Ukraine's 2023 grain crop is now being seen at 42.5 million metric tons. That's down from 53 million in 2022, with 21.1 million metric tons being corn. And Brazil's soybean crop is now expected to reach a record-breaking 156 million metric tons harvested. That's far above the initial analyst guesses earlier this year. Now, in the U.S., Friday morning's acreage report is expected to show soybean acres up slightly from May intentions, with average trade guesses at 87.67 million acres. That's up from the previous estimate. While the dollar index is firming up despite weakness in Treasury yields, and crude oil is trading right around unchanged this morning. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and as we have been talking about so much for the past four months, we're going to bring our focus back to the cost of food that you are eating. Food inflation continues to be a huge concern for consumers across this country, and they are going to confront it a lot here over the next 10 days as they prepare for a lot of those Fourth of July barbecues. Joining us now for an update on what you might expect to see if you hit up the grocery store over the next 10 days is Lance Zimmerman. He serves as the senior beef analyst with Robbo Research, works together on a team that puts out the Robbo Bank Barbecue Index. We're going to talk about what he's watching there. Lance, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on AOA today. Good morning, Mike. Happy to be here. Before we dive into the numbers here for this most recent Robbo Bank Barbecue Index, Lance, if you would, tell us a little bit about the index. What is it you're all trying to capture here with this data? Yeah, well, we're in the heart of grilling season, right? Uh, and as obviously the cattle and, and beef market analyst for Robbo, uh, it may be my favorite time of the year. Uh, you know, we just came out of Memorial Day and Father's Day, two big grilling holidays. And uh, as you mentioned, Independence Day and Labor Day are right around the corner to kind of usher in the second half of that season. And so what we did at Rabobank, I always say that our research team here in North America is like the Avengers. Every single analyst has their own unique talent, their own unique area, but at the end of the day, we can work together to pull together some really great research and insight for the food and ag community. And that's really what this index captures. We look at a variety of different goods that would be kind of in the traditional grocery basket going into uh, 4th of July, whether it's ground beef and chicken breast from an animal protein standpoint or burger buns and cheese slices and tomatoes and lettuce that would all go on those sandwiches to rounding out the meal with some ice cream and, and not leaving out other items like potato chips, beer, and soda. And just looking at what's the cost of that basket look like as, as we navigate going forward here. Well, and Lance, I mean, I don't think it's going to be any surprise to our audience that the costs in those baskets are climbing. But frankly, the the scale of these jumps are pretty impressive. What do you what do you think we're going to see for this most recent report? Yeah, you know, as you dig into the report, what you notice is some items that actually it, with your audience, being in the ag community, some of these cost increases aren't incredibly shocking, right? Uh, and when you look at kind of pre-pandemic to where we are today, you have items like hamburger buns, chicken breasts, soda and potato chips kind of leading the charge in terms of their price increases. Some of those items increased more than 50% in that four-year period. Then you have other items that only now are, are starting to increase, beef being one of those. You have other items that are coming off of their highs. A lot of those items in the dairy space, you know, they've been up 20, 25% over the last four years in total. Uh, they're going to start to soften as we navigate going forward. And so it's really interesting to think how the different pieces in this puzzle come together, what's influenced them. And obviously for items like chicken with high path avian influenza and some of their production challenges, no shock they're coming off of their highs. Items like hamburger buns with wheat doing what it is today and the condition of that crop and harvest really ramping up through the central plains. No shock that bun prices are as high as they are and they're probably going to stay pretty high. And then items like ground beef, they're only starting to lean into their aggressive price increases. And we're probably going to see higher prices on the beef side of the meat case for the next several years going forward for all those factors we've talked about before on the show. 
Lance, I know for the barbecue index, you're specifically tracking ground beef, the, the meat that's going to be used to make those delicious hamburgers. But I'm wondering if in your capacity as a beef analyst, you've got any insight on what you're seeing with the muscle cut pricing, retail level uh, muscle cuts for beef. Have you seen those prices continue to accelerate or, or is that what you're hearing through the system? They are, you know, as you look at it. And I think one of the things that, that we got to realize is, you know, the steak items remain in demand. Um, you know, for all the things that we talked about coming into 2023, we knew prices were going to be higher. But almost all the analysts out there, myself included, sat back and said, most of that price increase is probably going to come from tighter supplies, not necessarily good demand, because we saw all the consumer headwinds facing us. Well, the reality is we're sitting here today. We have retail data all the way through the end of May. Demand January through May will still be the third highest in the last 30 years. Uh, the only two years higher in this three-decade stretch were last year, which was the all-time high in that 30-year stretch, and 2021. And so demand is holding up exceptionally well, and as you can expect, holding up exceptionally well for some of those higher-quality middle meat items as well. Uh, but what's interesting, Mike, is while everyday prices now are, are teetering back towards year-ago levels, uh, and even, in fact, May prices were about 2 2.5% above year-ago levels, Ad prices are remaining very competitive. Grocery stores recognize that the center of the plate still drives the shopper in the store. And so through May, we still saw year-over-year -year declines in advertised beef prices. So don't just take the meat case price at face value. Retailers are making sure they put some deals in front of the consumer to keep them coming in the store. Lance, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it helps put into context something you'd mentioned earlier, which absolutely stunned me, which was the price increases you've seen on things like potato chips, beer, and soda. So this seems as though grocery stores are using those, those proteins perhaps as a loss leader and then making up those losses with those uh, extra sales. Is that is that what you anticipate is happening here? I think so. And I think we are going through a period of, of volatility still, right? We, we know how all the factors that led to those price increases the last few years. It started as supply chain disruptions. Then it became higher labor costs. Then it became higher energy costs. Uh, then it became global disruptions and domestic production disruptions, right? In the case of wheat's a perfect example. Some of that's due to just challenges in the U.S., being able to produce a wheat crop like we're used to, Part of it's also the fact that the global wheat market is explosive with the Russian-Ukraine conflict. And so you see some of these items are certainly going to start adjusting lower, but retailers are generally slower to back those price increases back off. They want the market to prove itself, right? Prove to us that these costs aren't going up anymore. And then once the market proves that that downtrend is in place, they slowly start adjusting and passing those discounts on. And so I do think some of these items have stayed stickier at their highs than others, and that's allowed them to make money elsewhere than maybe perhaps just the meat case. Lance, how often does Robo Research plan to put out the barbecue index? Will it be a year-round report, or are you just going to focus on it during the summer? I think we're going to focus on it once a year. Uh, I think our goal is next year, uh, now that we kind of have this inaugural edition under our belt, to get it out in front of consumers in that late spring period as we all start planning Memorial Day uh, festivities. But uh, we, we've recognized that as we've come out of the pandemic, we've all geared up. Uh, one of the fascinating things about uh, the pandemic that I found was just the Google searches for the word pellet grill were two times higher 
in the years post-pandemic than they were the two years pre-pandemic. And so we got grills, we got smokers, we got flat tops, we got air fryers. And so I think the momentum around grilling season has certainly picked up. And I think that interest in this type of understanding, this type of information is is at a new high. And so uh, you can expect us to have this discussion each year as we roll into this season. All right. Well, that is going to be fascinating. The amount of dollars spent on grilling equipment over the last three years, Lance, is staggering. And I think you're right. That gives those uh, those owners a long-term incentive to continue monitoring what's happening here in the meat case. Before we let you go, though, I do want to pick your brain a little bit. You spend most of your time researching the beef situation here in North America. As you watch this summer in the beef side, what are you expecting to see here as this goes on? Yeah, you know, one of the things we don't necessarily cover it in the barbecue index, but one of the things I've been telling everyone is, you know, we're within a a nickel of the all-time highs in beef prices. Those highs came in October of 2021 as restaurants were coming back online from those shutdowns. Um, It seems like it's near certainty that as we look at the June retail report and then those other reports that come down the road, we're going to be talking about new all-time beef highs more often than not. And again, it's a reflection of the tighter supply. We talk about the cattle on feed report coming out today. I think this one will be relatively benign. I think it's it's going to perform about like we would have expected with the pre-report estimates, a little bit smaller on slaughter, a little bit smaller on placements, but overall pretty darn close to a year ago. Um, as we go forward, those declines are going to become more prevalent, especially as we talk about summer placements and fall, especially if we continue to get some rain through the central plains like we have favorably over the last several months. Uh, it won't be a, a an aggressive rebuild on the front end, much like the, the retailer, right? The producer wants Mother Nature to prove it to him. But I do think we'll start leaning into keeping just a few more heifers back than we had in the previous years. Keep a few more cows around, give them a free pass because the price trend has been so sharply higher to start this year. We're finally starting to make the cattle producer whole again from a margin perspective. We're making the cattle producer whole. It's been a long time coming for that to change. But Lance, do packers still have the incentive to run slaughter as as fast as they have been? You know, it's interesting. As we look at 2023, weekday slaughter is nearly identical to a year ago. In fact, in some respects on the fed cattle side, uh, Monday through Friday slaughter is actually slightly higher than a year ago when you remove those holiday days. Um, But we've pulled out our Saturday slaughter. Uh, And I think that uh, that's usually an indication that the cattle producer is starting to gain bargaining power, gain leverage in the marketplace, is when the packer doesn't have to run as aggressively on Saturday. Uh, that means the cattle producer has a little bit more of the upper hand in negotiating. And we're starting to see that. Uh, the processing oh, really? segment, they're, do- they're doing well, but I think it's going to start to make that transition. All right. Well, that will be a good switch for those cattle feeders, cow-calf producers out there in the countryside. Folks, we have been talking with Lance Zimmerman, the senior beef analyst at Robo Research. Lance, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And leave it right here, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back with more AOA in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? 
they've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. What's your favorite talk show? Where do you hear music that transports you to another time? In an emergency, where do you turn for the most up-to-date information? Well, 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping the public safe in dangerous times. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why, and you could win $500. It's that easy. Visit whyilisten.com today. That's whyilisten.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of the United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416.
The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're going to take a look back at last week. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi visited the United States, and there were some important political changes made with regard to trade between our two countries. Joining us now for an update on it is Brian Riley. He serves as the director for the Free Trade Initiative at the National Taxpayers Union. And Brian, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. There's certainly a, a lot happening on the trade front this week. There is indeed. Brian, in the case of India, what was what was the reason for Modi's visit and what all did we get accomplished here while he was in New York and Washington, D.C.? Well, it's generally to, to explore closer relations between the U.S. and India with respect to trade specifically. Uh, you know, Americans and particularly some agricultural producers have been concerned uh, about getting hit by tariffs that India imposed in response to U.S. tariffs on steel imports, and, and there was a hope to try and resolve that. Um, and then that hope actually came to fruition. Uh, India announced that it's going to re reduce some of those tariffs that it applied on, on U.S. agricultural exports, things like apples and nuts, and and um, removing those retaliatory pro tariffs, which will uh, allow us to boost our exports to India, which is good for us. I'd argue it's good for India too. You know, they get access to affordable U.S. grown uh, products that their 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 citizens need. So, um, so I think it was a, a good news on that front, certainly for the agriculture sector, and, and maybe um, a good, certainly a step in the right direction. It really sounds like it. I know we've had conversations with Jim Bear from U.S. Apple here on the program, and, and they've long eyed that market as one they'd love to get back into. But of course, Brian, whenever we're doing these big geopolitical trade agreements, there's always a, a pushback, a give and take. Did the U.S. change any of our steel and aluminum tariffs to get these deals with India? The, the answer, I think, is, is maybe. The, the, the most clear-cut, um, solid thing that the United States could have done is, is say, we're going to drop our steel and aluminum tariffs. And then India said, well, then obviously we'll reduce our retaliatory tariffs um, and, and we'll go on as, as usual. And let me just be clear, the steel and aluminum tariffs that were imposed by the United States were made by national on, on national security grounds. Uh, I think it's outrageous to claim that steel and aluminum provided by our friends and allies, whether it's uh, Europe or Japan or Korea, 
um, or countries like India that that we are really working to build a stronger trade relationship with. There's no excuse for us maintaining those tariffs. But what the U.S. apparently has done instead is say is uh, sort of wink and say we're going to take a close look when an American uh, producer asks for certain Indian products to be excluded from tariffs. We're going to look at that favorably. It's not nearly as good as getting rid of those tariffs, but I, I think uh, it su suggests that the administration will 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 work with Americans who need those steel imports to try and reduce those on a case by case basis. Um, so it's it's better from nothing in that regard. But I'd, I'd like to see those tariffs gone. If we want to restrict steel imports from China, th look, that's one thing. But from from our allies, um, that's something else entirely. And and I I'm also concerned. As you and your listeners know, once we give up some of these markets, the longer we we, we give them up, eventually we get, get the retaliatory tariffs may drop, but we can't just waltz back in there. We risk losing those those markets uh, for, for the long term. So I think that's a concern. That's so true. You know, I think of that Apple example again, and, and Jim has pointed out that Iran has grabbed massive amounts of market share in India in Apple selling while the U.S. hasn't been able to compete. So, Brian, we've got at least a thawing, it sounds like, of economic trade tensions between the U.S. and India. Does this help set us up for more conversations around the Indo-Pacific economic framework this year? Well, it sure, sure sh should. There, there's been a little bit of a push and pull between the Biden administration and Congress. Uh, Biden administration is engaging in some of these negotiations. They're not typical trade agreements. They're broader um, discussions about economic policy. Uh, but they touch on trade policy and Congress, uh, the Ways and Means Committee in the House and the Finance Committee in the Senate particularly have, have said to the Biden administration, we need to be involved in this up front. If you negotiate anything, we need to be able to vote on it because it's a matter of our, our uh, constitutional authority as Congress over, overseeing these types of agreements. And the Biden administration has, has, has really not responded uh, very favorably to, to those requests. So regardless of, of the possible benefits of those agreements, there, there's going to be a, a, a broader push by Congress to really have more say in this, I think. It's not so much a, a concern, well, for some people as a concern that the Biden administration is doing things that Congress might not want. And for, for, for others, it's just the principle of the, of the thing that, that they, they want to be involved up front and they want to shape the final agreement and they don't want things to go into effect that they haven't had a chance to um, to vote on. That certainly makes sense, Brian. And I've heard some calls from folks on the ag commodity side. They'd like to see a TPA or a trade promotion authority uh, granted to Biden. Is that something that you think is in the offing under this Congress? No, uh, but I, th I think it should be. Part of the problem is that uh, um, typically for trade promotion authority, the president uh, has to really come in and make the case that that he needs it. Um, and if the president is not willing to do that, it makes it really challenging for Congress to, to pass a bill. Uh, so so I think what Congress is likely to do is to, to pass some, some more um, less comprehensive measures to try and increase their influence on trade policy. But, but it would sure be helpful if we said, whether it's a broad grant of authority to the president or whether it's even targeted saying, uh, look, well, how about we negotiate with, with the United Kingdom, uh, where certainly there should be, uh, no agreement is easy, but but pretty straightforward, uh, you know, common 
interests in, in many cases uh, to move things in the right direction. Unfortunately, I think we're going to need a president, whoever that may be, who, who wants the authority and is willing to fight for it. And we don't have that right now. Nothing coming down from the Oval Office. Folks, we've been talking to Brian Riley, the director of National Taxpayer Union's Free Trade Initiative. Learn more of their work at ntu.org. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk with Brian Split about what's going on in these markets, and we'll get an update on that Kansas wheat crop with Marsha Boswell. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow right here for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.